You're listening to your superpowered mind on the Superpower Up podcast, the show that investigates the innate power within your brain to create lasting change. Hello, everyone. Welcome to your superpowered mind. I'm your host, Kristen Maxwell. And in this show, we explore the process of transformation and give you tools and strategies you can use to transform your own life. Today, we're going to be talking to Wendy Perotti about what is the key to personable growth and professional development. Wendy Perotti is a coach, speaker, and trainer, and also a thought leader in metacognition and communication strategy. Her coaching approach hones in on the relationships between thought, language, and action as the linchpin to our professional success and sense of professional fulfillment. She's the co-founder of the Energy Initiative, a neuroscience-based executive coaching and leadership development firm, and she's also the founder of Live Big, a professional coaching company that works with women on enhancing personal performance and increasing bottom line results. Wendy, welcome to your superpowered mind. Thank you. I'm really excited to be here. Yes, I'm so excited to talk to you. I, you have, seem like a wealth of the type of knowledge that I love about change and brain um, development and all of that. Yeah, so, we definitely love the same stuff. We do. We <laughs> do. So my first question is always going to be, what superpower did you discover as the result of mastering your mind? Um, Well, for me, it was really, really early on in my life, although I don't know that I realized it at the time. Um, And it's that belief opens and closes every single door for us. What we believe is really what manifests in our lives, what opportunities we see and what we can control. Wow. So how did you you come to understand that or learn that? Because that's a pretty big... um big understanding. Yeah. So I was, um, I was a very terrified child, terrified of absolutely everything on earth. And I have a mom who is just bigger than life, completely not terrified, you know, someone who mm-hmm. gobbles up life. And, um, and so she decided that something needed to be done with me. And my parents did not have a lot of money, but they went over the top to find this private nursery school. And, you know, 40 years ago, 40, almost 50 years ago, um, people didn't do that, right? Send their kids to a private nursery school that they couldn't afford. But she really felt that something needed to be done with this terrified little kid. Um, And I remember a lot about those few years that I was there. Most of it, being alone and being afraid and being timid and, and holding back Um, But the biggest thing that I remember was this nursery school graduation, of which I was incredibly proud. I had a new dress, and they lined us up on these folding chairs, and we had made these little uh, mortars with tassels to wear. It felt like official graduation, and my parents and grandparents were in the audience, and it just felt like this really big deal to me. And they started by handing out these American flags to all the boys, you know, because it's the 70s, so the boys went first. And then they hand out to each of these gr- each of the girls these incredibly fantastic cray paper flowers. Mm-hmm. They were on dowels that were like two feet long. They were like bigger than my head, 
really cool things and they missed me. They just skipped over me and I didn't get one. Uh, and I could feel the lump in my throat and the terror. And of course, I was sad that I didn't get this flower that everybody else got that was incredible and wonderful. But what I was more afraid of was that someone would notice, that someone would feel sorry for me, that my parents would be embarrassed, that my grandparents, that, that I would be noticed and it would be a, a humiliation. And so I remember like sitting there and thinking, it's okay, Wendy, it's okay, don't cry. And I opened up, they had given us these little diplomas with our class picture um, also. I did get one of those and I opened it up and I, I said, you have this wonderful picture of your class and you have this diploma and you have there your mom and dad and look how proud they are and they don't notice you don't have a flower and you're okay and you're okay. And I was, right? I was okay. And at that moment, I learned that what I thought, what I focused my attention on became the truth as long as I believed it. I believed I was okay. And I actually was okay. You know, side note, I eventually got the flower and it was fantastic and whatever. But for the rest of my life, I knew with my heart and soul that I could be okay by being grateful for what I really valued and cared about, by changing what I thought about a situation, I could be okay. And it really worked well for me for about 40 years or so, right? That superpower. And I still have it, right? I still have this superpower. They don't go away. Mm -hmm. um, it, and it became a superpower though and a coping strategy, Kristen. So even though I was okay, by the time I hit 40 or so, I realized something else. I was only okay. Mm. I never pushed past that fear of being seen, of being humiliated. I could be okay, but beyond okay, I had some other beliefs that I didn't recognize yet. I had these beliefs that to be more than okay, you had to earn it. To be more than okay, you need to struggle. To be more than okay, something external from me needed to recognize me or rescue me or bless me or give me permission or invite me in. Mm. And I think that was the pivot point of my life in my early 40s, making that realization that I had these other beliefs that had stopped me from living all in, that had stopped me from getting sort of the brass ring, so to speak. Right. So there's a lot that you just talked about right there um, that I would love to sort of pick apart because you, one of the things that you said is that what you focused on, what you focused your attention on could be the truth so long as you believed it. Mm. So, what about situations where people are not, you know, how do you get yourself to believe something? Yeah, you know, let's, right. Fake it till like, you make it thing. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. So, what's the difference between faking it till you make it and then really finding a belief that you can hold on to that makes things okay? And then we'll go on to the thriving beyond that. But I just 
just this yeah. first initial step. Yeah, that's a really important component and um, and something that I've worked so deeply on on with myself and and with my clients. You don't need to believe one hundred percent, right? I mean, we know enough about the way the brain works that it's constantly seeking evidence and constantly growing um, based on belief. And that belief only needs to be the belief that the possibility exists. You simply need to believe that the possibility exists that you could be okay, or the possibility exists that there is love for you out there, or the possibility exists that you can succeed and that material wealth is yours for the taking. And there's nothing dirty or slimy about that. You simply need to believe that the possibility exists. And on that, then all of those tools that we can employ about how to shift our thinking to strengthen the belief begin to take hold. Right. And that's, I love that because, you know, I've often, I often say that we don't believe what we see. We see what we believe and right on. so if we become aware of the, just even a sliver of maybe it is possible that I will succeed in this, we can then start to actively collect evidence for that belief instead of the belief we've been always collecting evidence for, which is that, oh my gosh, this is never going to work. Exactly. It sets yeah. all it sets everything else in motion and it cracks open new doors. It does. And the thing for somebody who has been stuck in their head for you know decades, like I was at first, I was like, that's crazy. <laughs> you yeah. you yeah. can't just change your thoughts and your beliefs. And yet when, right. And I want to get into, we'll have to take a break, but I want to get into what is the, the focus and, you know, how do you start to change those beliefs, really? Um, but it, it, it's incredible. It's possible. So we are going to have to take a break. Can you um, let the listeners know where they can learn more about your work? Sure. Um, always can go to my website. It's my name, www.wendyparati.com. Or I'm on Facebook and Instagram. Um, again, under my name, Wendy Parati. So friend me or follow me and I'd love to hook up with all of you. Great. Thank you. We are talking to Wendy Parati about what is the key to personal growth and professional development. And we'll be back in a few moments. Are you here to change the world? Do you talk about things like vibration, frequency, awakening, and consciousness? Are you pretty sure you have superpowers? The Superpower Net is unlike normal coaching programs and conscious communities. We provide training, intuitive guidance, peer-to-peer -peer learning, intensive one-on-one -on -one coaching, and a high vibrational network of people just like you. When you join the Net, you get 24-7 access to a collaborative group of people who support you as you master your personal power and unlock your superpowers. If you're ready to use your superpowers to change the world, then join the Superpower Net today. Visit superpowerexperts.com slash the net to learn more. Welcome back, everyone. You are listening to Your Superpowered Mind, and we are talking to 
Wendy Parati about the key to personal growth and professional development. So let me start with what is metacognition? And how does that play into all of this this belief shifting stuff? Yeah, metacognition is basically thinking about thinking, right? It's when we're aware of our thinking. Uh, the way our brains generally work is most much of our thinking happens by default. Most of those thought, thoughts are simply default pathways that lead to default behaviors based on what was repeated over and over and over again in our lives. So when we take a metacognitive approach, we kind of slip out of that default. We elevate our awareness of what we think, of how we think. And with that, we're able to make choices that before were never available to us. Ah, that's great. So if you have somebody who's coming to you and they're like, I am so stuck in this, I, you know, I can't achieve this or I'm depressed or I'm not doing what I want to do. How do you help people to start get a, awareness of their thoughts and what's yeah. going on? So initially, um, and I have worked with sort of my sweet spot in, especially in executive coaching has been with the uncoachable, you know, people who have been through three coaches and are about to get fired, even though they're high performers, because we do get so stuck, right? We believe I have tried so hard. I work so hard. And yet here I go again, here mm -hmm. I am again in the same place. And so our belief is skewed by that. So for me, always, the first question I always ask is, can you believe even a tiny bit that it's possible to change? Can you believe that if you understand your own functioning, how your brain has created the life that you have now, and all of the things that you've worked so hard for, how they've come about based on your own physiology, really, your own human mm -hmm. functioning? Can you believe even a little bit that by understanding that and starting to use it for your advantage, that things can be different? And if you can give me a yes, that there's an inkling of belief there, then we can work together, right? Then we can dig in and start thinking about, well, what are these baseline beliefs? What are the rules that you live by that you're not fully aware of? Yes. Yes. And so give an example of like what kind of rule somebody would live by just so that, you know, listeners can understand. Um, so a favorite of mine, because, you know, I'm, a, I'm an Italian girl um, who had struggled with my weight my entire life, up, down, up, down. Here we go again, right? It will never mm -hmm. completely change for me. Didn't realize that I had this thing in my mind that, okay, I can Here's how I lose weight. Here are the things I want it. I get behind it. I believe it's possible. All of... But there were these other rules that I wasn't aware of. These rules that said, you, it's impolite to say no when somebody offers you food, even if you're not hungry. These rules that said, you need to always put out a spread that people cannot possibly finish at a moment's notice if they knock on your door, because that's what being a loving, generous hostess means. I had all of these rules about how food, feeding people and accepting food 
aligned with my own value system of being a generous person, of being a loving person, of connecting with people. And until I looked at each one, I lived by them, by default, Mm -hmm. without recognizing it. And once I looked at them, I thought, that's ridiculous. It doesn't make me a bad person if I say, gosh, that looks delicious, but I'm not hungry. (laughs) No, I had to rewrite that rule. Isn't that funny? There are so many. It is this, I remember when I first started to really understand this, of this idea that we have these constructs about the world and what it means, you know, what everything means. That is, we have no idea that that's what we're living by, you know, this idea that this is what good people do. Right. Or it's playing on a default loop. And this like absolutely infects our relationships because we have rules about roles as well. Right. We don't recognize it. But in each of our minds, we say a good daughter does X. A good mother is X. A good husband, a good boyfriend, a good best friend, a good teacher. We have these rules about what a role looks like when it's the way it's supposed to be. And those rules come from how we were raised, come from Cosmopolitan Magazine, what movies we watched, Mm -hmm. right? Come from all of these crazy places. And we base our relationships and our satisfaction with relationships and with people based on these role rules that may be completely different and quite frankly, usually are completely different than what their role rules are. Right. And it gets in the way of really seeing one another and really being seen. It does. It's, I love, you know, looking at people and, you know, helping them understand that they formed these beliefs about who they were and about what the world is. And they formed them often when they were quite young Mm. and never looked at it again to say, well, is that really true? You know, am I real? Are dogs really actually always terrifying and scary? You know, could you just react from like, oh my God, there's a dog. I need to run away. And it's like, well, are they all really going to rip my head off? Well, no. Okay. Let me start looking at that. I mean, that's a really silly example, but you know, it's, we haven't looked at it from the viewpoint of where we are as an adult with our full brain. Right. So you were, um, you know, one of the things it's the, you, you focus on the um, relationship between thought, thought and language and communication. And how does that fit in? Is that more how we're talking to ourselves? Uh, both. Both. Um, language has such an enormous impact on what we think and how we feel about a situation. Because language, just like roles and other things, has all sorts of associations attached to it. Right? The mm-hmm. language that we hear and the language that we use is laden with judgment and association. And it colors our filter. It colors our viewpoint. And so it's not really about changing your language. It's about being aware of 
what certain words mean to you. You know, someone might say, hey, that guy's really aggressive in a Mm -hmm. completely neutral tone. Wow, that guy's aggressive. And depending on who you are and how you hear it, you might think, I'm hiring a sales team. I want that guy, right? I need him on my team, right on. I might also think, woof. I don't like aggressive. I don't like conflict. I better get the heck out of Dodge before this guy comes my way. All from a neutral tone, right? All from the same sentence in the same setting. And yet we read that language differently. So simply being aware of what language, um, how it impacts our filter and other people's filters, again, opens doors that were closed before. Right. So when, when you've got people and they're, they're saying, okay, I can believe that, yes, it's possible to change, what's, how do you help them to then actually change those beliefs? Yeah. So um, I'll say that it's a three-step process, mm-hmm. right? and it is, but it's not a linear process right? There's, right. That's not the way our brains work. We need to loop through in and out of the process in all different settings and all different ways as we experiment with this new kind of thinking in our real lives and in the real world in order for it to take hold. But those three steps are seeing things differently, right? Once we have mm-hmm. this belief, we need to explore new lenses. We need to look at the world from different potential truths, from different potential perspectives, with no rule or judgment that we have to adopt them, simply exploring them Mm -hmm. starts to change things. And then we need to, you know, I usually use a little swear word here, but we need to own our own malarkey, right? Mm -hmm. Right. (laughs) Because we've all got some. And there are pieces of us that that we're putting out in the world that are out of alignment, with who we really are. And mm-hmm. until we can see that and own that, we can't shift it. So the next piece is owning our own uh-huh. stuff. Then, right. <laughs> and then it's um, acting intentionally, right? The thinking, the belief, all of that opens opportunities, opens doors, shifts our energy. And that shift in energy is contagious And yet nothing really moves unless we start taking action. And so creating intentional action that leads us closer to our goals. And it may be the same things we've tried in the past, right? The same tactics that we've tried in the past that have failed because we were applying them from the wrong mindset. Or it might be that those tactics are not aligned with what works for us. And so finding completely different ones, but taking intentional action to move forward is, is, you know, that's where, that's where things really start to happen. Wow. Yeah. That's, and that's, that's a great, um, I can see how each of those are, is a process of just getting greater awareness of what it is that we've been thinking, what it is that we want for ourselves, what it is that we need, you know, our values, and then um, looking at them differently and then starting to learn how to show up differently. Mm. 
which feeds on it. So now with the, with the brain, like whatever, the, this might be way too complicated of a question, but you know, there's this whole new neuroscience understanding of the brain and how does that fit in with this idea of knowing how to change our beliefs and our actions? Um, okay. So in its simplest, I think there are three critical components. One is that we need to understand that things happen, success happens when we have a balance between our mindset and our tactics. Right? If we can't think our way into change and we can't just do our way into mm-hmm. change or growth, right? right? There needs to be a balance of the two. The second thing is that our brain grows throughout the human lifespan. I don't know how old you are, Kristen, but when I was studying psychology back in the mid 80s, they were still yeah. saying that, you know, your brain was done by we adolescence. We were fixed. Right, we yes. were set. It was a, yes. Um, but we know now that that was complete malarkey, right? That the brain grows continuously throughout the human lifespan and it grows by what is repeated. Mm-hmm. And it does this all on its own by default. So what you hear repeated over and over again creates some neural pathways. The more you hear it, the stronger they get. What you tell yourself over and over again creates some neural pathways. And we're not talking about theoretical growth here. The organ inside your head actually grows through repetition. Right. So whatever you think, see, whoever you're hanging out with, right? Whatever news station you watch, whatever movies you choose to watch will make you a more generous or more fearful or more whatever person based on what you're repeating over and over again, right? It's the same way that we learn how to use our iPhones, right? We learned how to do it by repetition, radical repetition. So that's the second most important thing. You know, neuroplasticity says, The brain will grow what is repeated and sort of prunes off and lets die what is not repeated. Right. Okay. And then the third thing is um, a metaphor. I love this metaphor. Um, It's not mine. I got it from Chip and Dan Heath in their book, Switch, which I would recommend for anybody who's into um, this sort of thing. They explain um, a key functioning of the brain in this way. So, We have our prefrontal cortex. That's the part of your brain behind your forehead. That's the part that's thinking when you know you're thinking. Yep. Right? This is the rock star of the brain, the guy that gets things done, that, you know, forges forward, takes new things and moves them along, strategizes, executive functioning, all that stuff. Well, then there's this part of the brain down in the middle of the brain called the limbic system. And we've all heard of this. Fight or flight reflex lives there. Our emotions live there. our, uh, this is when you've heard of perhaps amygdala hijack, right? Yep. Something's unfamiliar, unfamiliar, and it puts me into fight or flight reflex. Run, 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 right? That lives in this limbic system. But here's something that most people don't know. Your long-term learning actually lives in this limbic system too. Ah. Everything that you have actually learned that is in those strong neural pathways lives in this limbic system. So what that means is when you are compromised in any way, you are emotionally triggered, you're physically exhausted, you're intellectually exhausted, 
It's this limbic part of the brain, this emotional part of the brain that's in charge, right? Mm -hmm. And so law of least effort, right? Your brain's not going to use up energy to go all the way out to the prefrontal cortex. It's going to stay where it is. It's going to use the long-term learning that's already there. Mm-hmm. Right. It's why you've quit smoking for 10 days and now you're exhausted and you reach for a cigarette without even thinking because the limbic part of the brain is in charge. And so the Heath brothers explain it this way, that thinking part of the brain, the prefrontal cortex is the driver and the limbic part of the brain is the elephant. So we could imagine that the driver sits on top of that elephant every single day and this rock star driver that we are shapes the path and moves along and everything is groovy and we are rocking our lives. But what happens when the elephant gets spooked? Hmm. Right? There's no way the driver is going to move that elephant forward. As a matter of fact, in the functioning of our brain, there's some chemicals that happen that actually cut off access to the driver. Aha. Uh-huh. Fight or flight. Right? Have you ever been like so angry with someone, Kristen, and then oh, I can't think of what to say next? Right? Yes. Right. And then you yes. get in your car and Blah. you're doing it again. Yeah. Oh my God, I should have said whatever, whatever. Yes. Well, that's because yes. when you're in their fight or flight, you have no access to the prefrontal cortex. The mm-hmm. elephant is completely in charge and the brain says no access. And the reason for that is when you're actually in fight or flight, if it's really life or death, We don't want the driver thinking, huh, there's a bus careening down the street at me. Should I go left or should I go right? (laughs) We want the elephant to say, jump! (laughs) Right, right. Right. So by understanding these basic functionings of our brain, right, we can learn to balance our tactics and our mindset. Mm -hmm. We can learn that what we repeat becomes our reality because it becomes our default, and that we can choose what we're repeating. And we can learn that when we're depleted, the elephant is in charge. And in order for us to move forward, the first thing we need to do is unspook the elephant. Right. Right. And so if the, brain, the elephant is really afraid, how do you unspook the elephant? Um, so it's so much easier than you would imagine. Um, it's breathe. And I Uh, laugh when I say this because I'm a big meditator and I, I work on all sorts of contemplative strategy with my clients. But for the first 40 some odd years of my life, people were constantly telling me, I mean, and you could hear how, from how rapidly I'm speaking, right? Mm -hmm. Wendy, Mm -hmm. breathe. Take a breath. Right. Right. And I really believed I did not have time to breathe. Right. Wow. It was just a bunch of hokum. Of course I'm breathing. We're all breathing. Get over it. Right. Those slow, deep, intentional breaths activate your parasympathetic nervous system. That change the chemical cocktail that's pumping Mm -hmm. through your body. So that stopping, that pausing, when you recognize my elephant's in charge to say, okay, I'm going to take a breath. And sometimes it takes more than a couple, right? Sometimes it takes four or five deep breaths. You change what's happening inside your body. 
and you put the driver back in charge. Right. And that is so, so amazing. All of a sudden, it was scoff at all you. Then people will be like, oh, yeah. yeah, I guess I just need to breathe. So I love this types of progress. Okay, we're running out of time. I have more questions I want to ask. One of them is just very quickly, because I want to ask about the book, your book that's coming out, but also very quickly, why do, there's this sense of, you know, some people are, they're going to say positive affirmations and that's going to work, but it doesn't work to just say positive affirmations. Can you answer in three sentences why that doesn't work? Because you're just using words without b- the belief behind it. Yes. Okay. You perfect. need that little sliver of belief that it's possible and then they work. Got it. Perfect. So you have to really work directly with the belief and change what is the belief that I want to have yeah, and so the that I can believe. Right. right. If, if the affirmation isn't one that you can believe, find a new one. Right. Exactly. <laughs> You've got to be Which able is, to get behind it. Yes. So even it might be just a little one step forward, but if that's what it takes to be able to, to have a belief you can hold on to that's true, that feels possible and true. Yes. Thank you. That's very good. um, Easy explanation. So then tell us about your book. You have a book coming out soon. I do. I have a book coming out called Reclaiming Muchness. Um, And that came from, I was a big fan of Alice in Wonderland as a kid. And uh, the Mad Hatter has a quote in there where when Alice comes back through the looking glass, right? As a child, she was all wonder and hero and And then she comes back through the looking glass a little older and a little wiser. And he says, what happened to you? You were so much, muchier before. You've lost (laughs) your muchness. And that's so, as I became an adult, I related to that. I thought, my God, we've lost our muchness. We've lost our sense of belief and wonder. And, um, And so the book is really about how I went through my own transformation and reclaimed my own muchness and and how and the the methodology that I used on myself and with my clients um, to create not change right because change is a constant in life but growth right growth is transformation nothing in nature ungrows right wow that sounds great well we will um, it's coming out in the fall in the fall. 2019. Okay, good. Well, we will, I am definitely going to look for that book. Love to um, hear what, you know, more, learn more about you. So thank you so much for sharing all of your wisdom today. You, I love, you're so, um, you've have this great ability to take all of this complicated um, information and, and make it understandable. So I very much appreciated that. Thank you. I loved I love talking about this stuff. Yeah. It's fun and it's it's it, it's there is a way in which knowing that people really can change for good is so exciting. 
Yeah, there's so much power there. And we all yeah. have it. Yes. We all have it. Right. So thank you so much. And to the listeners, thank you for um, listening, for caring, for wanting to change your own lives and how you show up. And until next time, go out and remember that you do hold the power to change and transform your world. Are you ready to discover your superpowers? Go now to superpowerexperts.com and take the superpower quiz today. 